Alright you guys, welcome back to another episode of Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course the Little Man, aka James, aka the Flashman, welcoming you back to another episode. Hey, I want to thank you all for tuning in again, for subscribing, hashtagging, tweeting, downloading, streaming, whatever you guys have had to do to listen to the podcast thus far. Really appreciate your support. Today, no mucking around, we're going to get straight into it with the conclusion my interview with the Australian Wolf, aka Mason Childs. We're going to talk to him today about his trip to Japan, his coming home, and hey, even us, he and I, sharing a very similar medical battle. You're going to hear all about it, well hey, right now. So you've just done the QWA, you've been influenced by Sai, you're back in the fold again for the for the fourth time now, you're learning from your mistakes, you're having a new appreciation for it. How long now, being that you mentioned earlier that you had your first retirement, how long are you in it now? And did you ever take a break at any point in QWA? Yeah, I did. Um, basically, I took three months off because I got offered a spot over in um, Michinoku Pro for a three month stay, which is like the longest you can stay before you have to start getting visas and business things and sponsors and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was honestly the best experience of my life. Um, if anyone gets a chance to go and live over there at the dojos, do it for, for the love of God, do it. Um, especially in the summertime, because all the companies do big, huge tours. And it's like, it's cool to do the shows like where, uh, like in Australia here, some guys are only getting one show a month or they're getting one show every two weeks. Over Mm -hmm. there, we were wrestling eight days straight. And you learn how to, when to do big matches, but you also learn when to ease off. And you learn how to do uh, trios tags. You learn how to do tag main events. And, yeah, the knowledge that I got and, like, the psychology of it, just learning from all these guys who have been working together for years, um, you just embrace it all. And I was able to do that, and I came back. And one of the biggest things people don't – uh, realize is how light the Japanese actually work. Um, people see like Tokyo Dome and Wrestle Kingdom and watch the guys beat the shit out of each other for 40 minutes. Yeah. But on a regular show, that doesn't happen. Uh, there you go. Nice, easy, snug on each other. And it's just like being at the gym pretty much. So basically, I just finished all that. I came back and, um, yeah, I got a, Oh, while I was over there, actually, I got a message from coyote. I know Mm -hmm. he's probably going to be listening to this and, um, don't take this to heart, big man. But when I came back, I went from wrestling these nice, easy guys to wrestling Aussies again. And Australians are just so tight and stiff with like almost everything 
And okay. uh, yeah, Coyote was doing his um, last stand or he was going to retire then got cold feet and didn't want to retire, but he was going to take a break. And I understand all that. Um, but after that match is probably the first time in my career because I was posting high and I was in the best shape of my life at that point. Yeah. Uh, that was a match where I literally felt like I had been beaten up, like properly beaten up. Mm. And um, I was getting this like migraine after it. And I was just feeling really, really out of it. I was, like the front of my head was just thumping and thumping. But um, I just thought nothing of it because that's what wrestling is. You just take your beating, you get up and you go. And you do the next session, you go to the gym, uh, you go out drinking, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And But I never really sort of recovered. Like I kept feeling like something was wrong in my body. Okay. And, and uh, it was actually – it was the day before Anzac Day. I was training and I was doing this workout and there was like 400 meter runs in it and it was for five rounds and I was going for my last 400 meter run. And as I'm going down this driveway, I ended up falling over and having a seizure. Wow. And then um, my coaches ended up calling the ambulance and I had a second seizure. The first seizure was about like, just over a minute. The mm-hmm. second one was about 10 minutes. And they Jesus. literally said to me, most people that have a seizure that long can end up with brain damage. But luckily I didn't. Mm-hmm. But um, that actually, they said there's a 99% chance that you've got a brain tumor. We just need to find where it is. So I stayed wow. in hospital for quite a few days um, had MRIs. They found it in, um, my front lobal region on my left-hand side. Um, and they went in and did a biopsy and took bits out. And, um, yeah, I ended up having a stage three astrocytoma. Wow. Yeah. So that was leading up to what was meant to be, um, a rematch for the championship because I dropped the belt in January of that year, 2017. I dropped mm-hmm. it to stitches and uh, we'd been building up to this rematch. And I was like, yeah, this match is going to be our WrestleMania six. It's going to be Hogan warrior. And <laughs> you're going to take, you're going to take the belt and you're going to go on. And, uh, oh, well, he already had it, but he was, I was going to give him that like, push up and then Mm. I couldn't do it because uh, of the seizure that I had. Yeah. And um, basically the next month I was like, okay, well, if I can only have one more match, then I want to get guys from Japan out. I want to wrestle two guys that are my mates and I know they'll look after me. Mm. And we'll go out there and at the end of the show I'll tell everyone that I have cancer. So did the match, everything went fine. Um, At the end of it, I told everyone that 
I didn't say I was retiring. I never used those words then because at the time, as you yourself, you you recovered from cancer. Yeah. Uh, that was my light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It was like I even I said, um, I'm gonna beat this and I'm gonna come back and I'll be back within a year. And mm. I ended up coming back within the year, but I still had a little bit left and it took about six months before I ended up getting rid of that bit. So that I ended up taking a whole year off for that, which is kind of funny because I hear guys going, oh, I hate having to sit and watch the show. I just want to be out there. It's like I had to do that 12 times in a row. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember that feeling of sitting in that doctor's office and then basically saying, hey, man, yeah, we've done a biopsy and it's cancer. Did everything just sort of slow down and everything just felt like this isn't real? Like what was hearing that diagnosis for the first time like for you in that moment? To be honest, I didn't have that. I basically, like I took it in and it hit me pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I just said to the doctors, all right, when do we start getting rid of this? Great. And they're like, oh, we got to wait, we got to wait, we got to find out, we got to ride off to somewhere. Oh, I can't remember some Scandinavian country that has like the hub of how to treat all the cancers that send it off and get back um, the recommended treatments and all that sort of thing. So right. I ended up having my seizures in April. I didn't start my uh, treatment until uh, June. June. So how long was that between getting diagnosed and having treatment? That, well, so you, were you diagnosed in January and treatment was June? No, no. I got diagnosed in April. So I had my seizures um, the day before Anzac Day. And I ended up starting my treatment about mid-June, so just over six weeks, nearly eight weeks. Okay, so you you had treatment for eight weeks? Um, I had – my stage one was having uh, radiation five days a week and having uh, temozolomine, which is a tablet version of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I have 140 milligrams of that, and I that was for six weeks. So I had 30 sessions of it all in total. Yeah. Um, I came to the end of it, and I, it was a really weird feeling. It was like I'm feeling good, um, and then I got to a point where I knew it was the tumor, and I was like, oh, my head's not feeling good. And then I ended up having double vision and um, I ended up just randomly being sick, like vomiting. I was trying to work through it and I'd get like an hour in and I'd run upstairs and I'd spew my guts up and I'd go home and I ended up going to an optometrist to see about my vision. And he's like, no, you've got to go to the hospital right now. So I went there and they checked um, my tumor again and um, they reckoned that the radiation had the opposite effect and they thought that it had grown. And um, basically just lying there in bed and um, they go, well, 
Here's some uh, forms for you to fill out to take Centrelink. Um, you'll never work again. We can't even guarantee how long you'll live. And at that point, my dad rang me up and he goes, no, we're going to go see another specialist. We're going to go down to Sydney. I've um, researched it. I found this doctor. We're going to yep. get their opinion and we're going to see what they say. Mm. So we went down there and we saw um, this awesome doctor named Dr. Helen Wheeler. Yep. And she basically said what happened was um, my tumor reacted too well to it. So it swelled up and it was coming down. So I ended up having going on a tablet which uh, took the swelling away. And then I had another year of um, temozolomine. And, yeah, by the end of it, I ended up pretty much, well, that was a year ago that they told me that um, it was stable, So, which is what you want by that point. It's so small they, can barely, they can't even measure it and they can't even distinguish it between uh, scar tissue and that sort of thing. Man, congratulations from one survivor to another man. I, I know, I know the initial words of you have cancer comparatively to nope, it's all done is really yeah. two different sides to the same coin. But um, yeah. man, congratulations on, on from a fellow survivor to you, man. Um, th good on you Thank for you. fighting the good fight, man. So are you all in the clear now? Like, is it all done and dusted, or where are you at with it now? Yeah, um, I'm just getting it monitored every three months by one doctor and six months by another doctor. And that's the thing. If you, if you, anyone listening to this, if you go through this, stay positive. Yeah. That's what got me through, staying positive. I actually messaged a um, all Japan wrestler, Joe Doring, and he'd actually had a brain tumor. And um, he ended up coming back from it. And I messaged him and said, look, I'm in the same boat. Um, what did you do? And he said, man, just stay positive. Just try and make the best of every day. And, um, yeah, that's what I did. And after I'd beaten it, I messaged him. I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I messaged you um, about a year ago telling you that, um, I had a brain tumor and I'm now officially beaten it. And he goes, Oh, that's awesome. And then we chatted a bit and yeah. So that's my advice to anyone. Even you got family who's been sick with cancer, hear them out, let them vent and then just be positive. Just talk about other stuff, just whatever they're into. Man, 110%. I cannot agree with you more, man. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was lucky on, on, on my side of things to not fully remember being that it was such a young age, going yeah. through the cancer thing. It kind of felt like the born identity, like I had photos and documents. And to me, the mentality of going through it was like having the flu. I didn't understand how dire those circumstances were was for for me at that stage so i uh i i humbly bow to you sir because I, I i i couldn't imagine what it was like to actually live and remember 
I should say, live and remember going through that, man. Because I, I think I got the short end of the stick in the sense of, yes, we we both beaten this together, but I don't have that those memories of going through it. And uh, I, I guess that's a somewhat of a, of a blessing on my side of things. But I really tip my hat to you because being at that age and, and going through that and hell, remembering going through that as well is 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 something that i know that we would both not wish upon anyone especially ourselves no. so how long after the treatment see we you were you sidelined for a while did, did you rush to get back into it or when you were you given the all clear were you straight into doing shows again um i actually rushed in um <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, still to this day, one of my doctors goes, I don't recommend you wrestling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, I've been doing it for 18 months now. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I've had that conversation too, man. It's, uh, it's fun. Mm. <laughs> it's fun to get yeah. their reactions. So you're straight back into it and you're still active to this day now. Yep. Yep. Haven't missed the show. Man, that, that is an impressive feat. And uh, I say that with love and admiration from someone that's been through it as well. But yeah, dude, it, it's it's a hard battle to fight, and I'm very very glad. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people out there listening to this who may have not known that story um, are very very mm. happy and are very very glad that not only did you go through it and come out the other side, but you were healthy enough to get back in the ring and then sh- still share the knowledge that you've learned. So it's a yeah. it's a tough task, but you did it, man, and, and props to you. Yeah. Just going back, uh, you were talking about how big Dallas was. I actually remembered a story <coughs> from training yeah. back way back in the day because um, he was like at the top. He was working with Jethro and he was working with Cruz and he was the main guy. Yeah. And at training, he goes, oh, I've, I really need to start working with smaller guys. So can I do some stuff with you? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure, man. And um, he's like, oh, can you like, you put the heat on me? And I was like, okay, no worries. So like gave him something in the corner and he fell down on all fours. And I remember going for a stomp on his back. And yeah. um, this was this was definitely before I'd ever seen the inside of a gym and I stomped him on the back and I hit it at such an angle and his body is so big that I actually like jarred my knee giving him a stomp <laughs> and I'd like, and I just fell down and I'm like, Oh, and he's like, Oh, you okay, bro. And I'm like, Man, I just nearly dislocated my knee giving you a stomp. I think you need to. I think you need to stick to work in the big boys. <laughs> I, uh, I, I actually got to share the ring with Dallas one time, mm. and it was it was at the QPW season one TV tapings we did, and yeah. there was a tag tournament where Dallas and uh, I think it was. Savage, aka Paula, it was Dallas and oh, Paula versus my Paula. Yeah, man, uh, one of the first trainees that we had there at QPW, lovely dude. I yeah. had nothing but time in the world for that man. Mm. It was Dallas and Paula versus myself and Island Boy, and there was one point in the match where, I mean, I weigh I weigh a buck fifty wet, 
and mm. Dallas can pick up, you know, close to two, three hundred kilos without flinching. And yeah. I remember getting in the ring with him, and we we had talked about things before, of like what we could do and what would what would look good and what would look good for the cameras and what would we thought would be funny and what would still look strong. Um, mm. And I remember him quite literally going to gorilla press me, dropping one arm and just walking around the ring with one hand underneath my abdomen, just clearly like, yep, this is, <laughs> this is like a shopping bag to him. And yeah. then um, I was squirming, I was squirming. I was like, put me down, put me down. The ref's freaking out. Put him down, put him down. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. And mm. Dallas put me down. He brushed my shoulders off. And he then... I remember seeing the left arm of Dallas come back and I went, what's happening? And I just remember hearing like a train, boom. And he clotheslined me and damn near took my head off my shoulders, man. And I hit that, <laughs> I hit that mat and I had my come to Jesus moment pretty much five years later. And I went, God damn it. Like there I was flat back in the ring. Dallas had damn near taken my head off. And I remember him, picking me up shortly after doing that move and immediately saying, sorry, bro, I had a brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. I just died. My heart stopped, but oh, gee, Dallas. But yeah. <laughs> but no, honestly, man, like you went through it all and uh, props to you, man, for going through it, dude. And there's there's nothing but love and respect from, from me going to you for for going through that, man. So I, um, I'm, I'm very Thank happy that, that you're here today. Oh, thanks. I'm happy I'm here as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd hope so. But yeah. So we've 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 got to the point now where the segment of the podcast we do what's called the deep dive. Now we've learned about how you came from the sunny coast, how you moved to Cleveland, how you started wrestling, how you've been to all around the world, essentially doing wrestling, doing federations, but now. We're going to take a deep dive into your psyche. You want to learn about psychology and do the wrestling psychology? Well, here we're going to do some live psychology. So are you ready? Are you ready, Mason, for the deep dive? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, that's not ready enough. Goodbye. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So my first question to you is, how do you, given everything – that you've been through and coming back through it all. How do you now, how do you define success? I define success pretty much by how much you influence you have, you and your actions have amongst others and especially others that are your friends and your family and your loved ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, basically, like, 2020 has been a really shit year for me so far. And okay. I decided at the start of the week, I'm going to try and do one thing a day to be nice to someone or do something nice for someone and not expect anything back from it. Mm -hmm. So to me, if you can... If you can leave this earth and you've had a positive impact on a bunch of people... Mm -hmm. then that's success. Man, that, uh, that hits home, man. And I, I completely, completely agree with those sentiments. Mm. What is the best advice that you have ever received? Best advice? Um, never stop learning. Yeah. No matter what it is in life, especially in wrestling. Um, I can see it 
and C down in Brisbane. I'm trying to avoid sort of slagging on people here, but I can see a lot of guys have gotten to that point where they're like, yep, I've trained. Now send me to Japan, send me to America, give Mm -hmm. me WWE tryouts. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, that's not how it works. Mm. Uh, Anytime I, one of the reasons I get a lot of guys, um, trainers and wrestlers who are better than me to come here is not only to teach my guys the stuff I can't teach them, but for me to learn as well, which is why I loved going to Japan because I was just learning in every single match. And, uh, yeah, we we were just sort of calling it on the fly and it was awesome. Like, I just don't really get that experience anymore. So anytime I do... I grab it and I'm always trying to learn and I'm always talking to people and I'll always ask people what they thought of the show mm-hmm. um, and what they thought of my match and what they thought of a match that I've helped book mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, never stop learning. That's the best advice I've ever been told. Man, that's some sound advice. So anyone listening out there, please hear that advice because that is something that it can apply to all different avenues in your life, whether it be personally or professionally. Do not ever stop learning because the minute you do, you become stagnant, you get bored, and you shut yourself off from all experiences in life. So that's some sound advice, man. Yep. But given that advice, given all the history that you've had in and out of the wrestling circle, if you weren't wrestling – what would you be doing? Ooh, probably some sort of martial arts because yep. um, when I was in school, I played, I, um, played basketball but I also played tennis for quite a few years and I realized I wasn't sort of getting anywhere with it. And then okay. a guy that's still one of my best friends to this day, uh, as they say, like – if um, a great friend is someone that you don't see for a long time and you just pick up where you left off, yeah, that's how I am with this guy. He actually got me into boxing and he got me into karate because at the time it was like very, very early days for mixed martial arts here. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to get the bootleg UFC tapes off um, market stalls and that sort of thing. And um, he was actually – he was an amazing fighter and he still does fights. Like he went over to the Philippines and he went to Thailand and that's where he ended up meeting his wife. Uh, so I would think I probably would have done that and probably got my brains beaten in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, so you're still involved in the contact sports. You still want to doing something athletic. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, this is the part of the podcast now, which I like to call the Lipton Six. This is in tribute of James Lipton, who sadly we lost earlier this year in March 2020. He was an American writer, lyricist, actor, and the dean of the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City, where he hosted and ran his TV show Inside the Actors Studio from 1994 to 2018. So in honor and tribute of him, I'm going to ask you, his famous six questions that he would ask all his guests before wrapping up his interview. So are you ready for the Lipton Six? Oh, I'm ready. 
All right, man. The first Lipton question is, what is your favorite word? Progress. What turns you on? Dark hair and glasses. (laughs) (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? Oh. Jeez. Um. Pitbull songs. (laughs) Shout out to Hartley Jackson on that one. What is your favorite curse word? Um, probably fuck. You may have answered this already, but what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh. Maybe motivational speaking. Okay. Yeah. If heaven exists... What would you like God to say when you reach? Hang on, I'll just do it again. Sorry. Yep. I accidentally hit my mouse. What's going on? Everything is just wigging out right now. There we go. Um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? It's about time, you bald-headed son of a bitch. <laughs> man, that's the best answer I've had so far on this podcast. All right, Excellent. man, we're going to reach. We're hitting the we're hitting the home stretch now. Put yep. the nitrous in the engine. We're revving up Vin Diesel style. We're hitting the Fast and the Furious to the finish line. Just before we ride off into the sunset, I have what I call the final four. These are the final four questions of the podcast, and we can ride off into the sunset. So are you ready for the final four? Yeah, I'm all saddled up. Let's hit this sunset. <laughs> all right, partner, here we go. First one of the final four. Was there ever a point where you thought, hey, this isn't going to work? Oh, yeah, plenty of times. Um, when I sold PWA Queensland, um, that was when it was at the point I was like, this is done. Um, at the end of the second season of Grindhouse, when I ended up passing that on, um, even recently, there's been quite a few times where I've really considered just packing up all my stuff into my car and driving back to Cleveland. Because uh, I, as I was saying, um, I have a sister and she's just had a kid and I, um, so I'm an uncle and he's just had his first birthday. But being so far away, I miss so much stuff. And all I get to see is little videos and daily photos of him and stuff. And I don't want to be like how my uncle was and still is where just randomly show up every two or three years, you know, I I want to be a part of his life. But um, at the same time, I still have work here and all Mm -hmm. this coronavirus stuff. I just got to see where that goes and what life will bring after that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, man. I completely agree. Yeah. Have, have you ever stopped and thought, man, how the hell did I get here? Um, A couple of times. I look and I'm just like, this is all the stuff. Uh, the kid watching Bash at the Beach 96 
would never have believed. He, I've gone and I've wrestled the people that I'm an idol of, um, personal life, everything. I've just, yeah, I've just made the most of every situation and every relationship and every person I've met. And um, as I've fallen into other roles like trainer and booker, um, I'm just like, wow, like, I would have been happy to have wrestled one match and that would have been it. Now yep. I've run shows. I uh, train people to do matches. I put matches together. I teach people. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Currently, what is your proudest moment or achievement? Uh, my proudest moment was wrestling in Michinoku Pro's World Man League, mm -hmm. uh, night one at Kurikan Hall. Uh, so a little bit of backstory on it. I ended up wrestling the Okinawa Pro Champion. And basically there's still this deep-seated hostility between um, Okinawa and mainland Japan after uh, World War II stuff. So basically a woman who was a big fan of his gave out all colored streamers to the front row and everyone threw them. So all the Japanese natives, um, the Tokyo people started chanting Australia, Australia. Oh. So that's probably, yeah. So for like Japanese fans to be cheering at all, let alone for me, yeah, that just blew my mind. That that whole four days of that tour, that's the biggest highlight of my life. Yeah. And at this age now, looking back on everything you've accomplished, at this age, say from about 17 years old, did you ever think at 17 thinking about, hey, when I hit this age, this is where you'd be? No, not at all. I thought I'd be married and kids and a family and all that sort of thing. And it hasn't happened yet, but, um, yeah, fingers crossed sometime in the future. Oh, undoubtedly, man. This, this man is a catch. Only ladies out there <laughs> listening, absolute snack city. I've never used that term before <laughs> in my life, and I'll never use that term again. Oh, you better use it when I'm down next. <laughs> and I, I eagerly await your return to where we are now. Um, hopefully this virus thing starts letting loose real soon. Um, yeah. But where can people find you on social media? Do you do the social media? And if so, where can people find you? Um, I tend to do all the social medias. I'm never touching TikTok. Uh, you can <laughs> quote me on that. Uh, Australian Wolf, my Facebook fan page. Check that one out. If you're on Instagram, Australian Wolf QWA, and if you're on Twitter, Destiny Childs, all one word. Do you have any merch that you want to plug? Uh, not right now. Uh, <laughs> we do have a pretty rad uh, Mad Dogs of the Universe shirt that I got designed, which is basically massive fan of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and I got all the Mad Dog Club done as different characters and got Dingo. Uh, He's He-Man in the middle, and I got to be Trapjaw because Trapjaw was my favorite. And where can people pick that shirt up from? 
Uh, if you find the QWA shop on Redbubble, you'll find it just there. So just what can I tell one more story? Yeah, man, go ahead. Okay. In 2003, uh, me and BJ Blade actually went to, uh, is, is it called the arena in the valley? Um, it, it was basically like, it's pretty much dead now. But, like, it used to be a big concert hall, and we went and saw ICP. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so random. Like, looking back, now he's, like, he's got grown-up kids. He's been married this whole time. And we went and watched Insane Clown Posse. And um, they couldn't get Fago through um, customs, so they had, like, the really crappy – no, uh, diet, no caffeine, Coke, and they're like throwing <laughs> them on everyone. Oh, it was insane. Great memory. <laughs> well, as you leave us with that memory, man, again, yeah. from, the, from the bottom of my heart, man, thank you so much for being a brother, for being a friend, for helping me out personally and professionally. I love you so much, man. Can't wait to see you again, and I'll catch you down the road. Likewise. And yeah, all those feelings right back at you. And anyone that um, has like idolized me over these years, I thank you. Um, and just remember, don't be a dick to everyone backstage. And we're all just people. Let's just be fucking good motherfuckers. Peace in the Middle East. And yeah, thank you. Thanks again for having me. All right, you guys, there it is, the complete interview with the one and only Mason Childs, AKA Australian Wolf. I wanna take this time again to thank Mason for coming on. And hey, thank you for listening and subscribing, hashtagging, tweeting, resharing, doing whatever you had to do to get this podcast out there. Make sure you subscribe at LNBC Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at LNBC underscore podcast on Twitter. Until then, be safe and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>